We've all been there, in the middle of a job, everything going smoothly, until boom, you're missing a part. United Refrigeration is your one-stop shop for all your refrigeration needs. Use your computer or smartphone to go to www.uri.com at any time of day or night to check stock on your favorite brands, such as Copeland, Sporlin, Carlisle Compressors, Danfoss, Emerson CPC Boards and Sensors, Carell, Hussman Parts, and Ketotherm. United Refrigeration Inc. is home to these brands and many more. Looking for information on refrigerant conversions or refrigerant banking? Quick access links on the homepage can get you to the information you need. All approved accounts are able to see live to the minute inventory and pricing. Product not in stock at your local branch? No problem. Use the nearby stock feature to find a local branch that does have what you need. Are you looking for a branch address, phone number, or after hours number? That's all available as well. Just click on the branch locator and search for your local branch. Have a model number and looking for a replacement part? www.uri.com forward slash ARP has a vast list of quick pick replacement parts. Just search for the model number of the equipment you're working on and click the replacement parts tab. If you don't have an account, click the register button and we'll have you online in no time. With more than 400 locations in North America, each United Refrigeration branch is fully stocked for immediate pickup. Our branch employees have in-depth technical knowledge so we can help you get what you need when you need it. Visit your local store or www.uri.com forward slash ARP today. United Refrigeration Inc. has all your solutions down cold. The Sporland Division of Parker Hannifin Corporation is sponsoring this podcast. Sporland is the leading manufacturer of HVAC and R components. Using quality materials and craftsmanship, Sporland maintains a commitment to innovation, manufacturing excellence, service, and support for its customers since 1934. The company is known for its catch-all filter dryers, thermostatic expansion valves, solenoid valves, pressure regulating valves, suction filters, electric valves, controllers, supermarket monitoring solutions, chemicals, smart service tools, ZoomLock Max Press to Connect, and ZoomLock Push, Push to Connect Refrigerant Fittings. If folks want to learn more, what do they do? Uh, you can go to Sporland.com. I guess that's Jim and John for Sporland signing off. Hello guys, this episode is brought to you by Fieldpiece. Fieldpiece's next generation of vacuum pumps will cut down on evacuation time and make oil changes on the fly a breeze. They are lightweight, durable, and feature four inline ports plus a large oil reservoir. Get pumped about these three new Fieldpiece vacuum pumps available at distributors now. Learn more at Fieldpiece.com or follow us on social media at Fieldpiece Products. Thanks again and thanks for listening. This uplifting cinematic experience. Uh, I've got something important to tell you, man. The big story is... Dig this and dig it deep. Hey, you got after a credit call. Way to go. Dude, don't encourage him. Lassos know I'm being sarcastic, right? <laughs>
And then next thing, guys, when cases ice up, you got to figure out why. You don't want to just de-ice the case and leave, okay? And this is something I've seen guys, just your newer guys, miss a lot is defrost heaters, okay? Just because a defrost heater isn't pulling any amps does not mean it's bad. Please get your meter out and check. Now, I've seen a, a plethora of defrost heaters that are bad, that aren't that you know are getting written up that aren't bad. And here's here's what kills me is a guy will write up both the front and rear heater. The chances that the both the front and rear heater are both bad at the same time are pretty rare. So if you don't have amp draw on the front and rear heater. And you got amp draw on the uh, on the uh, the drain here. You probably have some kind of wiring issue. And now this is specifically in regards to Hill Phoenix, where they put the relays on top of the case that kill the 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 front and rear heater off of clicks on. Now those relays fail all the time, and they will fail like missing a phase. So it'll have three phase defrost, two phases of uh, power. You have single phase power going to the the rod heater up front, but you'll have nothing in the in the back or the front or the front coil. So get out there and actually make sure there's power at those at those defrost heaters. So you want to actually check them, you know, make sure the relays are bad. And then same thing with all the CO2 cases at Walmart. So like the the Husman ones, I just seen this the other day. Somebody condemned a heater. Another company condemned the, the heaters in the case, said they weren't working. Well, there's a relay in there that kills. You're an asshole, Brett. Uh, there, there's a relay in there that kills the defrost heater power. And it kills it. It's a time delay relay. It kills it for 15 minutes. So it makes the case pump out for 15 minutes for the heaters to come on. Well, guys get overzealous and they don't wait for the relay timeout. They start de-icing the case. And next thing you know, the case turns out and they never see the heaters actually working when they were. It just was waiting for that 15 minute pump out time. Also make sure that your drain pan heater is actually working properly. Um, I know we've been bit in the ass, um, and I've talked to a bunch of people across the country that have had the same issue. Sometimes, depending on how the uh, case controller is set up, 
Um, it will turn on the drain pan heater as soon as it goes into defrost the way it's supposed to. Um, but something, whether it be the fan, um, the fan relay might be connected to that in order to switch it from fan to pan. Uh, sometimes you rely on a uh, amperage in order just to turn off a relay. But, you know, typically programmers follow the sequence of operation that a unit should do, right? So, oh, we're going to shut off the, the fan power as soon as it goes into defrost. Well, on a Hussman case, that's a severe problem because it uses the same voltage for the fans as it does the pan. So you'll basically have a pan here that'll be 125, 120 volts. You'll have a fan that's 120 volts. But what they'll do is during defrost, the case controller will actually kill the power for the actual fans, which means when it does finally go into defrost and it the you know the electric that's ran to the defrost heater will basically activate that relay and then switch the relay to go from fan power to pan power. But the problem is the case controller already shut off the power that was supposed to be, you know, energizing the fan. And I've seen that happen a multitude of times on the uh, XM678s um, where they just, you know, they didn't, you know, they, they programmed it incorrectly where it was basically killing the, the, um, uh, the power and it just, it, you know, you'll see it come on at first and then you won't ever check it again. And then lo and behold, maybe a quarter of the way through the defrost or halfway through, you know, it starts automatically just, you know, shutting it off and turning it on. And that needs to be on all the time. Um, otherwise, any of the water that might be falling off that coil will refreeze and then you're going to be shut out of luck. Yeah, husband's never heard of that before. You're the first one to say anything. All right. You, you, they said that. I'm sure they said that to you. <laughs> no, I wasn't involved. I, I just, I basically went there and it was like, this is your problem. And they're like, well, it's an S3C. I'm like, then you're going to have to have either Novar reprogram it or Sporlin reprogram it. You know, saying, right. it's, it's a manufacturer's, you know, your rep, it's their first training. We've never heard of this before. You're the first one to complain. But yes, no, yeah. I've heard that a lot the, this year. The, 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 dra the drain pan is a huge issue. And then same thing with coils, guys. Make sure that uh, when you got coils icing up, you know, make sure that, you know, you're actually draining good. And I've seen a lot of coils here lately, especially new stores where guys are missing them. They're, they're icing up the pans every one of these heat craft coils i've had to read cross break the pans at them when we do startup because they hold water wait, wait 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 say that one more time you've had to do what to it we've had to like cross break the the drain pans because they're literally holding water the coils will be mounted level and they'll be a hundred percent perfectly level and front to back 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 to sides they're holding they're holding water on the ends of the coils so what we've had to do is basically I hang my fat ass off the fucking drain fitting for a second and let it pop. And then once it pops, there's enough, there's enough, uh, you know, slope now in the drain where it actually drains properly. Maybe they should just let the electricians just hang the uh, electrical from the drain pan. Like, yeah, you know, like well, a lot of them do. they do the relief holes on the one side, but the other side doesn't drain, get to drain through the, you know, the whip anymore. 
surprised how often that happens. But no, I, I'm being serious. So like these these coils are holding they're holding water on the sides, and it's the medium temp coils, and they're icing up from the bottoms because that water sits there, then freezes because it's getting cold air blown on it. It freezes, wow. and then you have a drain pan iced up in a dairy cooler, and you want to put a bullet in your brain at that point because by the time the customer calls it in, it's usually about 13 inches out, protruding out of the back of it, and it just happened today on a Friday at you know nine o'clock at night and that's one of the only things i really miss about like industrial refrigeration like supermarket refrigeration there's no redundancy right it, it even if it was broke it needs to be fixed last week where you know industrial you're you got one evaporator iced up well you got 60 more in that room sir i'll be there monday sure it'd be nice to have a little bit of redundancy but you know, nobody ever heard of that before. We can't even we can't even get working condensers. I do. I honestly can't even believe um, that in, someone we were putting on a training class, and someone asked, "Is there any sort of uh, vapor recovery for CO two?" So you know what they're saying is, is if you would have a relief pop, it would go instead of you know, releasing to the atmosphere, it would go to a tank that would hold that pressure. But like, I don't understand why we don't. Even, they don't even spend the money. They're going to complain about how much CO two they lose, but yet, you know, we could have spent an extra, you know, fifteen or twenty grand, um, and installed a natural gas generator with a single condensing unit for to for that same reason. Yeah, they, you know, they complain, they complain about us, but like, they don't want to spend the extra money. They're like these these stores with these hot gas racks, or like these stores with uh, these. Like, for example, Aldi in Hill Phoenix, there's reliefs in the low temp and medium temp suction headers. Why the hell would you vent those to this? Would you vent those to the atmosphere instead of venting them to the flash tank? Vent them to the flash tank. Let them let them blow into the flash tank. The flash tank reliefs are at 600 pounds. Why are you going to blow off a relief on the medium temp suction that you could blow into the flash tank? Yeah, it doesn't even make any sense because, I mean, basically, if it did do that. You want to know why it doesn't make any sense? Because it's going to cost an extra $4 for somebody to bend up some tubing and tie in a check valve. I mean, they, they do that on uh, regular DX systems. You know, they, if they have a, a they have a secondary relief before it goes to the atmospheric yeah, the relief. where Yeah, the high-low bypass where basically you take that, that, <laughs> that hot – uh, vapor coming off the receiver and it just gets thrown right in the, um, in the, in the suction. Um, Cause I'd rather have a, a, you know, high pressure suction than I would, you know, losing gas. Right. And then at that point, like, you know, you could do something creative where you basically then, if you are that high on the, on the, on the discharge and it's not registering as soon as it re you know registers that it's re releasing some kind of pressure into that line, and it shuts down the low temp compressors because the you know CO2 rack can run independently, just run the medium temp, doesn't need the low temp to be running. This is back to the basics. You're yeah, you, you you brought up CO2. No, I didn't. You did. Uh, <laughs> Can't prove it. So all right, guys. Back to the basics now that Brett's you know often is like four, you know, just down the rabbit hole chasing chasing the rabbit. I like Alice um, in Wonderland. You would. <laughs> uh, so we went over the condensers, guys. You throw on your hands on the drop legs, check checking the airflow, cleaning them, 
And now onto the onto the case. I mean, is there air blowing in the case? Huge thing. Like, is is that air like part of Brett's triangle thing? Uh, is there air blowing in the case? Just because that case has been there for ten years doesn't mean that there isn't air blowing into the case and causing issues. I mean, it may not be the immediate issue, or if they're having product temp issues, I mean, it could still be an issue that you guys need to be aware of. You know, you know, just look around, look at the HVAC vents, you know, make sure something's not blowing in there. Make sure there's not D-strap fans in there blowing at you. You know, make sure that there isn't air just like pouring in there. And just because something has been that way for 10 years doesn't mean it's right. It but, doesn't also. It doesn't also mean that it. You know. It, it, yeah. I mean, I net. So maybe you guys won't agree with me, but I never like. I'll listen to the customer's complaint because a lot of times he'll give you secrets on un, unbeknownst to him. Like he'll tell you something where you, all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, all right, that makes sense, and you know, it gets you closer. But I never read anyone's tickets. I don't care. I don't care what the last guy did. You know, I treat every single call like it's a brand new call because a lot of times you'll get blinders on you. Um, I, I've done this before and wasted hours, hours. Someone told me a certain case was on a certain, uh, you know, group on a glycol rack. And I listened to him and he was wrong. And I, I literally wasted, I think, four or five hours because I was under the assumption that, you know, oh, this guy wouldn't lie to me. No. Just don't, so, don't listen I'm to anybody. Same, I'm the same way. Like, I don't care what the last guy did. I don't care if it was even one of my guys. Because here's the deal. If I'm there, it's because somebody didn't fix it. I want to I go into every call with an open mind. I, th- we have a couple guys. They literally will get their truck. They'll get the call. The first thing they do is hit the customer logbook on, 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 our, uh, on the phone. And they start looking through it. Oh, so-and-so was here. Oh, he just worked in this case. He said that, uh, you know, there was product blocking the low temp case. There was product blocking the airflow, you know, on on the upper shelf. Well, that's not going to make a frozen food freezer, you know, run warm. So lo and behold, he goes there and he says, oh, look, there's product blocking the airflow on the shelf. You know, there's, there's stuff all the way to the, you know, the honeycombs. Guy goes there, tells him to move the product. He, he moves a bunch of the product back. Well, the case comes down to temp. Well, lo and behold, there was a Dan Foss TXV just bleeding through the suction to the equalizer line. And when all the doors were open, they put a bunch of load on the case. And now the expansion valve actually opened up because the bulb got warm enough. And it started to you know cool the case back down. But then he left. And then it went right back into alarm. You know, had he actually looked at the case, you know, objectively, you know, and seeing that, okay, yeah, the superheat's like nothing, but I'm not cooling because the equalizer line is frosted up and it's just blowing into the suction. So one thing's about the, those Dan Foss expansion valves. I don't know what it is, man, but like if they're clamped down fairly, you know, fairly low, you know, where you're trying to maintain a higher superheat, um, I've seen where they just, they start bypassing. And as soon as I open it up to, you know, adjust it back to the way it should be, you know, whatever superheat the, the case needs to be, it starts feeding fine. You, you have any, uh, any experience with that? Hey guys, here's the second question for July. What temperature does the 
solenoid and gauge on the demand cooling module. Email your answer to arpgiveaways at gmail.com. Thanks. Today's episode is sponsored by the new Reefer Shield Differential Pressure Monitor from Westermeyer Industries. When the filter element of your coalescing oil separator is contaminated, it can hurt your system's performance and efficiency. But how do you know when it's time to replace the filter? Wait too long to service the filter, and you could end up with nasty filter blowout. But replacing too often can be a waste of time and money. The answer is installing a differential pressure monitor. The new Refresh Shield RDP-01 Differential Pressure Monitor is available now with Westermeyer Industries. To find out more, email sales at westermeyerind.com. Once again, that's sales at westermeyerind.com. Look for the new pressure differential monitor available now. Those valves are either like on point, like they hold like 0.2 of a degree of superheat, or they hunt all over the place or don't feed at all. Have you? Uh, so I'm talking about if anyone doesn't know the Danfoss, they're, they're, they look like they're they're silver. Um, Danfoss states that you don't need to wrap those expansion valves, uh, even with. Um, you know, even with like if you're doing a regular standard valve that's not rebuildable, um, they're saying that you don't have to wrap it, which I find amazing because, you know, your your power head is directly welded onto that valve. So if you have a broken bulb, you're you're kind of shit out of luck where you got to just replace the whole thing. Have you ever had to replace one of those? I mean, are, do, they, do they brazen as easy as what they say? I I've never put one in to be honest with you. I rip it out and put a spoiler one in every time. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, just 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 making sure of like issues like that. Like, don't look at the logbook. Don't look at the what the last guy did. Okay, and then guys, if you are going to call for help, say you're a newer guy, you are going to call for help. Please check, you know, the basic things first. Make sure you have power. Make sure you have control power. Make sure you you know you've gauged up and you know your saturation temperatures, your suction saturation, your your saturated condensing temperature. You know, make sure you've checked all the fans are running. You know, make sure you check you have enough refrigerant in there, whether it's got a receiver level or if you're on a single unit and you're just looking at a side glass. Make sure you have enough refrigerant in there. Make sure you have your liquid temps. So when you call this guy, whoever you're calling, your supervisor your foreman, you're waking Brett up at two o'clock in the morning, you know, <laughs> make sure that you have all this information so you can give this guide to him. I mean, cause you generally who you're probably calling is probably getting calls from other guys. So the more precise you could be with all this information, then the better off you could be. I, I don't know how many times I get guys call me and they're like, yeah, I didn't check that yet. Or I didn't check anything yet. Or, um, I didn't. I don't have any of that information. I haven't got my gauges out yet. Don't if call you, for help until you, that. It's all done. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to piss someone off, uh, don't like. First off, don't call them uh, from the van before you even got there. Don't you know? Don't try to. Don't try to driver seat diagnose. It, 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 you're gonna get tunnel vision. You're gonna start going down the wrong rabbit hole and. It's just not, it's not going to bode well for you. Um, also, like you just said, don't call with no information. Okay. That's a really fast way to get hung up on. 
and make sure that you check before anything that whatever you're using is calibrated, whether it be pressure, whether it be temperature, make sure that stuff is spot on because the worst thing in the world is wasting your time taking taking you know down crap information once again i've said this a bunch of times you give me crap information you get a get a crap diagnostic and i you know so one one back to you real quick like you talk about you know checking that stuff check your meter leads every time i use my meter i throw it on ohms and i ohm out the meter leads i can't tell you how many times i've seen guys you know chasing their tail around a problem and their one of their meter leads is bad because they wrap it around the meter instead of properly storing it. They wrap it around the meter and throw it in a bag, and the wire breaks, and they're looking for a problem. And every time they move the meter, it intermittently you know makes again, and they're chasing this ghost voltage problem when it was really just a bad meter lead. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> I totally agree with all that. I mean, plus it's just a safety thing, right? Um, that's why, like, there are some guys out there that love no loss fittings. And I, I've had at least three calls where, you know, those no loss fittings ended up burning somebody. Uh, guy calls me up and says, Brett, this doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't understand. I was checking out the rack. And I said, you know, first off, before you're going to give me any pressures, did you make sure everything was calibrated? Yeah, 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 it's calibrated. Um, and, yeah, it was calibrated right at zero, but it wasn't calibrated at pressure that it was reading um so he basically is giving me all this information he said well the rack's set for you know 50 pounds but i'm i'm getting 30 at my case and i'm trying to figure out what the hell he's talking about it was only one it wasn't like it was a dual suction group um you know rack it wasn't it was just one medium temp rack you know one suction set point and uh, electronic EPRs. And what he's stating was a physical improbability. You couldn't be physically lower than the rack unless something shut off and you were bleeding a crap ton of pressure there. And basically his no loss fittings were what, what was causing him not to get the full amount of pressure that was in the suction line to his sensor. So he was fighting with this thing for about four hours before like I, I, I didn't know if he was lying to me. I, it, what he was telling me wasn't making sense. So I had to drive out there and be like, your gauges are messed up. You know, so we took the no loss fitting off and, and threw it on there. And lo and behold, it was, it was right after. So um, I'm very apprehensive about using them. So I'm just sharing my experience. So I that was, doesn't happen I to you. To use those things. Yeah. I, I, I refuse to use those things. I don't, I don't want anything to do with them. I, uh, I would rather just have normal fittings. I, I honestly like probes better. I think a probe is uh, much better for that. Get you know, way more, less uh, issues for that. But the other thing is, guys, just, you know, if it starts spraying out, let it go. Find the ball valve. Don't put your hands there. Um, you could lose fingers um, if you try to be a superhero. Um I mean, the only thing you do at that point is you make as long as it's safe as far as the amount of refrigerant spewing out. If it's safe enough to stay in the motor room, find out where you can isolate it and just wait for the refrigerant to bleed down. 
you, so you know. this goes to another point, Brett. Like I, I, I'm big on this. Like if I go to a store I've never been to before, mm-hmm. I always look around. I spend like five to ten minutes looking at the rack. So say the customers, you know, they won't be there for some ice cream doors, yada yada yada. Um, I walk in there. I always go to the motor room. I if I've never been there, I always go to the motor room. And I check it out. And I'm looking for a couple things. I'm looking for the exit. Oh, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the exit. I'm getting out of the room if something were to happen. And then I'm also looking for the main ball valves. So I'm, I'm looking at the rack. I'm looking at the rack piping, just see how everything's laid out, seeing what kind of receiver it has, you know, if it's a, if it's in guard. I'm going through this, just, just looking over the general rack, but I'm also at the same time looking at the main ball valves. You know, where's that receiver inlet ball valve? Where's the receiver outlet ball valve? Where's the ball valves killing the store? Where's the ball valves killing a condenser? You know, so that way, if there is an emergency situation, you know what ball valves you need to hit. You know, you want to save as much gas as you can. So if you could isolate the receiver and the condenser, you're going to save a ton of gas and you could run out of the room, hit all the switches and, you know, in the compressors, you could probably, you know, isolate that rag fairly quickly. You know, don't stay there if you don't know where it is. I mean, you, you're just going to be fumbling around. And it doesn't take long before that refrigerant hits you. Um, I'm not talking like ammonia. I'm talking about straight up, you know, HFC, you know, HCSC. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Like that shit will hit you quick. Um, I walked into a walk-in yeah. where, where where we had a, a leak. We did we weren't aware of it at that point. And I was in there for about five minutes before, you know, the, the guy that I was working with showed up a little bit because he went to go check in with the manager. And within that five minutes of the time that I walked in the box from the time that he got there, all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks where I started feeling lightheaded as shit. And I was like, we need to get out of here now. And then I literally just sat down outside the box. He's like, you're right. I'm just, I was like, yeah, I was just getting really dizzy because oxygen was starting to get displaced by the refrigerant and uh, I was getting spins. Yeah. So we actually had a, uh, we were doing a gas conversion one day and we were inside of a rack in the box house, like a enclosed rack house inside of a store. And uh, we had an apprentice, it's a great journeyman now, we had an apprentice changing relief valves on a relief valve tree. And the way that Hill Phoenix mounted this was extremely janky and it was in a really bad spot. And I told him, I looked over, I go, hey, make sure you use a hold back on there. Oh, I didn't look over, and he had the channel locks backwards. <laughs> and he had a pipe wrench on there. Well, I was at the controller programming something, and there was four other guys in there changing out ball valves. And it was a, it lasting on a Friday we were doing before the, the gas changeover the next week. He snapped off the fucking three-way valve on the receiver this thing fucking shot out, hit the fucking ground, put a dent in the steel in the steel cabinet ground, hit the fucking ceiling, put a hole in the ceiling, came back down, went through the box of parts, and all of a sudden the entire room just went white. So I'm dragging the two other apprentices out the one door. The my buddy's dragging the, the other two out the other door throws them on the ground. I hit the the purge on the side 
and we get the exhaust van going and three of us run back inside when we grab the re- I grab the receiver ball valves, he grabbed the discharge ball valves and the other guy dro- grabbed the drop leg ball valves and we just kill all the switches and then let it all dissipate. Fudge. Yeah. And it was I've, a Friday. It was like one o'clock. I've, I've never had a motor room um, where it was, it was so bad that I couldn't see. I, I've, I haven't ever had one of those. It was instant. Like oh. as soon as it heard, we heard the, the pop. It came right out. It was a three quarter inch fitting. It came right out of this fucking fitting out of the receiver. Just, just the whole room just pure white. Is that is that the is that so? There's a diff, a couple different styles, right? So you have the one that actually has a a rotolock fitting on it. You have a different one that could be yes, thread, Would you let me a, fuck off? <laughs> threaded threaded directly into the receiver, or the ones that are you know has a, a a fitting that's threaded on there when it's just a piece of copper coming off. Yeah, I, this was a roller lock, and he snapped the whole fucking roller lock off. What did you do? I had a roller lock in my van. Oh, and you you lucked out. I had I had a I always keep I always keep five eighths, seven eighths, and inch and an eighth roller locks in my van. Always, I use them all. I use them all the time. Like especially the uh, the five eighths, which would be an uh, one inch and a quarter roll lock. That is a super common valve on racks. I'm trying to remember the one that I used to keep all the time. Um, but yeah, they, that that thing fogged out the entire room like instantly. Oh. I had a I had a union I had a union a five eighths union uh, rotolock that I that I kept um, same thing I, I think I had one for inch and inch and three eighth for the uh, for the most common ones that break right so when you're changing on a compressor on a vapor injection rack um, usually the solenoid where it connects up on there that usually is is rusted rusted to crap and usually ended up you know twisting the copper it's so bad trying to loosen it up. And then the big one that I had was for the uh, compound compressors on the discharge line because I don't know how many times we try to loosen that up to, you know, get get the get the you know the discharge to swing out a little bit so we can get the compressor out easier. Um, he was always suction with me. The suction never would come off. Really? Yeah. So if you condemn one of those, don't be a jerk. PB blast the shit out of them when you condemn it, so that way the guy that goes there has a chance. But have you ever done the uh the, the sledgehammer method with a ro- with a roller lock? Uh I mean where you just kind of hit it on either side and try to get it rotating. So yeah, two sledgehammers, hit uh-huh. them opposite ways. Uh-huh. And uh generally you can you could bust those things loose that way. No, nah, I've I've had one discharge line bust on me, but I mean that's not saying you know, we take over stores and, and we're wondering why this one compressor won't, you know, won't keep running and it goes off on discharge pressure, but there's no spikes. And lo and behold, you see that the discharge line is almost twisted shut because, <laughs> you know, they were trying to loosen it up or tighten it up, whatever the hell they were trying to do. And it's just destroyed, you know, and it's not it's not fun. Um, the other thing that, that I'm amazed about is is the the copper that they have bent for those things um 
do you do you have any recommendations for like a very large uh copper bender because i mean obviously you can only go up to uh you know a certain size for like a hand bender um i think i think they make a what a three quarter one that's that's big enough that you can do by hand uh, what do you do when you get up into those those bigger uh bigger sizes gear benders hmm? gear benders what are those like they're they're gear driven benders oh, like okay. I've, never, I've never seen one i've seen a guy, guy gear bend a piece of two and an eighth i'm assuming an e uh, i mean not that like you're gonna you have one on site but like an e uh, what's what's that you have to kneel the shit out of it. Really? Yeah. How about, the problem with the conduit one, it, it's it's uh, the radius is too tight. It ends up uh, it ends up uh, kinking the copper. Really? Yeah. I I think we you know we talked to Nathan I think about this and and he had said I don't know if he used a company in order to do it like he can you know they, they, there's a company somewhere where they can you know, especially bend that copper for him, like to, to you know, cause he does a I lot know, of that. I know Helen Kaiser can, cause I, I had uh, a rag rebuild project and Kaiser Warren actually bent all the nineties uh, or the 45s for the, the Carlisles. They mm -hmm. bent all the, uh, for us, they sent them like they had, they had all the bends. We just had to cut them down because they measure them all wrong. Um, Explain they me, the bed, the bed. Go ahead. Explain to me why we can't use uh, 45s in refrigeration, um, but they do it, it all does. the time. Huh? Sam's actually approved us to use 45s in those compounds because well, uh, we weren't going to be able to get the bends in time. And they said, mm -hmm. go ahead and use uh, 45s. Well, but, like, for argument's sake, like, the, 99% of standards say, you know, no 45s in, in, in refrigeration piping, but I've seen like 45s from the factory, like on a rack. And I'm like, well, I guess they're not following that. Right. Like, I just, I don't understand. Like, I don't, I don't know if they're making them longer radius or if they can, if they're, no. if they're bending it, it's okay. Look at all the Armaflex. We're not allowed to slide Armaflex and you look at every rack or slit Armaflex everywhere. Slit? Slid. Like you know, they slid it over a ninety. Yeah, is that to make it three part? Look at it. Look at half the racks out there. This shit's all slid. Yeah, agreed. You're also supposed to purge, and like when you open a rack up, and there's a pound of fucking dirt in it when you first get it. You know, it's yes. do do as I say, not as I do. I got you. I got you. They're also supposed to not have any leaks, and you know. When you when you send something, it's like half put together. I I I can keep going for days on this. Uh, I I know. Or you get basic, the IOU. Ba ba basic basic refrigeration. We're going back to basic refrigeration. <laughs> All right, we're gonna end this one for tonight. We'll you know when Brett doesn't go off on his you know diatribe of like random things. Tell you want it's useful information. All right, guys, have a good night.